You're listening to a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. We hope you'll find it to be spiritually edifying. Our text this afternoon is from Mark 10. In connection with that, we will read together from Mark chapter 35, verses 33 through 37. Notice that just before our reading, our Lord Jesus Christ has spoken about his betrayal and death. And then verse 32, we read, but they did not understand what he meant and were afraid to ask him about it. And then we come to our reading. They came to Capernaum when he was in the house. He asked them, what were you arguing about on the road? But they kept quiet because on the way they had argued about who was the greatest. Sitting down, Jesus called the twelve and said, If anyone wants to be first, he must be the very last and the servant of all. He took a little child and had him stand among them. Taking him in his arms, he said to them, Whoever welcomes one of these little children in my name welcomes me. And whoever welcomes me does not welcome me, but the one who sent me. Thus far our reading, and now we'll turn to our text in Mark chapter 10, the verses 35 through 45. The section just before another instance in the Gospel of Mark where the Lord Jesus predicts his betrayal and death. And then we come to our text in verse 35. Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him. Teacher, they said, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. What do you want me to do for you? He asked. And they replied, let one of us sit at your right and the other at your left in your glory. You don't know what you are asking, Jesus said. Can you drink the cup I drink or be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with? We can, they answered. Jesus said to them, you will drink the cup I drink and be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with. But to sit at my right or left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared. When the ten heard about this, they became indignant with James and John. Jesus called them together and said, You know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Beloved congregation of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, can you imagine what it would be like to be close to, to be in the inner circle with the most powerful man ever to walk the face of the earth? What would it be like to to share in his life and to watch him carry out the work of his kingdom and even to be enlisted with him to help him carry out the work that he has in his kingdom, his empire. Now, if we were speaking about this in a different context than we are today, your mind may go to a different place than it's probably going right now. In a different context, it's quite possible that each one of us would have a a sense or vision of the grandeur that would come along with being friends or even 
a confidant of such a man. Surely this person would leverage their power at least, or hopefully a little bit, to help us. and To give us what our hearts desire. Well, our text this afternoon has just such an event. Where James and John, you might say, go for the glory. And they will get it, the Lord Jesus tells them, but not in the way that they are expecting. Our Lord Jesus Christ does not call us to lose our hope for glory. He doesn't urge James and John to do that. What he does though, is to change, is call us to change our expectation of how we are going to arrive there in the first place. And this text speaks particularly to those who would be first. The rulers and the leaders. The Lord Jesus said this to James and John. They were leaders even among the disciples. So these words are particularly for those who would be first, like the men who are going to be installed this afternoon as elders and deacons. However, it's not limited to them. Our Lord Jesus lays out for all of us, for all of his disciples, the way of his kingdom, the road upon which all of his disciples are called to walk. This coming Thursday is Ascension Day. And our text this afternoon is very fitting for that event. Because if we would follow the Lord Jesus into glory, then we must also follow him in his humiliation. And that's our theme this afternoon. If we would, as James and John even have the audacity to request, if we would follow Jesus into his glory, then we must also follow him in his humiliation. Because we must share in his purpose. And because we will share in his suffering. Because we must also share in his service. If we would follow our Lord Jesus Christ into glory, we must also follow him in his humiliation. And so in our text, Mark 10 at verse 35, two brothers, the sons of thunder, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, had uh, come and address the Lord Jesus Christ. And these two men had a special place among special places. The Lord Jesus Christ had many disciples as he taught throughout Israel. Among those many disciples, he had called to himself 12 special disciples. And among the 12, he even had a closer group, the group of three, Peter, James, and John, who it seems were with him almost all the time. So James and John are right in this inner circle of inner circles with the Lord Jesus Christ. And at the point described in our text, these two brothers decide to leverage that special position that they have with the Lord Jesus. They approach him and they ask him, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. And then they proceed after being prompted to ask, let one of us sit at your right hand in glory and the other one at your left. Now that's a pretty audacious request. 
James and John, it seems, in their first question and in their follow-up second question, are trying to force Jesus' hand into complying with their desire for status and power. That's what the right hand and the left hand are all about. The right hand being the highest position in the kingdom and the left being the next after that. James and John want the highest position in the kingdom of Jesus Christ, in the kingdom of God. What makes this request even more audacious, however, is the context of this request, and I've pointed that out as we read our text together. Immediately before our text, the Lord Jesus Christ prophesies about his impending arrest and death. He says, we're going up to Jerusalem and the Son of Man is going to be betrayed to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. They're going to condemn him and hand him over to the Gentiles who will mock him and spit on him, flog him and kill him. And three days later, he will rise. It's a pretty striking prediction. It's pretty clear what is going to happen to the Lord Jesus Christ But immediately after he reveals his humiliation, the humiliation that he's going to experience, his closest disciples start to fight for glory. They start to fight for status and notoriety. But what's going on? What's going on with these disciples? Don't they get it? Well, we need to know that two other times in the Gospel of Mark, this happens. One of these times is in chapter 9. Just before our reading, immediately after Jesus predicts his death, the disciples start to argue among themselves who is the greatest. They just don't get it. It seems the disciples would only hear what they wanted to hear in the first place. They would only think in terms of power and status that they were used to seeing in the world around them. Jesus claimed to be king. He told them that he had come to establish the kingdom of God. And therefore, in their minds at least, this kingdom would include places of of prestige and, and power and privilege for God's people. People like James and John to enjoy. Now, in this audacious request of James and John, we need to hear a warning to examine our purposes. It's a warning for all of God's disciples and especially those who would be leaders. We need to examine our understanding of how things work in the kingdom of God and in the church of God. If we believe that we've been called to this position in order to gain or exert our status or power, then our thinking is as audacious and appalling as the request of James and John. And perhaps we would be more sensitive than to come right out and ask, but still it is very possible that that purpose, that motivation, that desire can live in our hearts as well. And so we need to humble ourselves before the Lord. The Lord's purpose is not to rule and govern in the way that the rulers and governors of this world operate. His ways are more subtle, are spiritual, and most certainly are more powerful than the ways of the world. 
right alongside this warning, however, is also a powerful call. And it, co- and it comes to us from the lips of our Lord Jesus Christ when he says, what do you want me to do for you? What do you want me to do for you? It's, it's another one of his penetrating questions that go right to the heart of his disciples. The Gospels are full of these questions from our Lord Jesus Christ. We do well when we read the Gospels to pay particular attention to the questions that Jesus asks because they cut right through the fluff and they get right to the heart. He exposes, in fact, our hearts for us. And that's a good thing. The Lord exposes our hearts and in exposing our hearts for us, he calls us to repentance. He calls us to to examine our purposes And then to change them so that they conform to his purposes. That's what he's doing here with James and John. We need to examine our hearts. Do our purposes align with the purposes of our Lord Jesus Christ? Do our desires conform with his? Or are we adopting our purposes and desires from the world? Do we seek power and status? And do we seek them in the way the world does? Is the Lord Jesus Christ asking us, what do you want him to do for you? Is he exposing our desires to be self-focused, power-seeking, and status-satisfied? Then we must hear and hear the wonderful call to repent and seek first His purpose for our lives. We must share in His purpose. We must also share in His suffering. Because there is a twofold reason for Jesus' disciples to adopt His purpose. One is simply that we might conform our purposes to His purpose. And that's just the way it should be because he is the Lord Jesus Christ. He is our king. His purposes rule the day. We must conform our purposes to his. But there is another reason, and that is that the purposes of our Lord Jesus Christ will be accomplished. Whether we ultimately recognize them or not, whether we agree with them or not, his purposes are going to be accomplished. And it sure makes it easier on us when we understand what those purposes are. After James and John make that audacious request, the Lord Jesus tells them that they don't know what they are asking for. They don't truly understand what it means to sit at the right and the left of Jesus in glory. James and John don't understand, but from examining this passage and many other passages in the New Testament, in fact, throughout God's Word, we understand To join at Jesus' right hand and at his left hand in glory is to join at his right hand and at his left hand in his suffering as well. Those who are last will be first. And Jesus makes the suffering requirement explicit when he asks, can you drink the cup that I am going to drink? And can you be baptized with the baptism that I am going to be baptized with? And James and John, probably quite uninformed about what this means, agree. And then the Lord Jesus affirms for them that, yes, 
they will. Though they don't understand, they certainly will join with him in his suffering. Because that's exactly what the Lord Jesus is talking about. When he mentions the cup and the baptism that he drinks from and that he is baptized with. When he speaks of a cup, he's referring to that Old Testament imagery of the cup of God's wrath. That was a frequent topic of the prophet's message to the people of Israel. The people of Israel suffered under that wrath. Jesus came to drink that cup, to suffer God's wrath on behalf of his people. The whole life of our Lord Jesus Christ was a life of suffering. That cup is a cup of suffering. The baptism that Jesus is talking about is certainly baptism in a metaphorical sense. It's not the same baptism that Diane has received this afternoon. Although, in her baptism, she too is called to share in this life with her Lord. Baptism here describes an experience of being plunged into trouble or difficulty. It shows up in the Old Testament several times, especially in the original language of the Old Testament, that word baptism. It's a common Old Testament imagery of being engulfed or overcome by water. The imagery of being having water up to your neck or, or water flowing over your head, pointing to a difficult time. That's the baptism that Jesus is speaking about. And so Jesus came to drink a cup of suffering and to be plunged into a life of trouble and difficulty. And this is a cup and baptism that James and John will experience. Of course, the substance of that suffering and trouble is going to be a lot different than the substance of Jesus. His suffering was totally different than ours. We're called to suffer with him, but we're not called to suffer in the same way that he does. His suffering was substitutionary. He suffered for us. He drank the cup of God's wrath on our behalf. And yet even though his suffering and death were sufficient to satisfy God's justice, to appease his wrath, to restore his favor, yet still Jesus calls us to suffer with him to share in his disgrace in the eyes of the world and to be cleansed and conformed to his likeness through this experience of suffering. And this most certainly came true for the brothers James and John. James was martyred. We read about that in Acts 12. John was exiled to Patmos. And the principle holds true for us today as well. You might call it the Ascension Day principle, if we're going to follow Jesus into glory, we will also share in his suffering. We are called to suffer along with Christ that we might follow in his steps as the apostle Peter wrote to the believers about and which road he too walked in his life. And so for you who are being installed into office today and for all who would call yourselves disciples of Jesus Christ, do not be surprised at the painful trials and suffering that you are experiencing or that you will experience. This is not to be unexpected. This is instead 
God's perfect plan. It's his ordained way of drawing you to himself, of purifying your purposes and conforming your purposes to his own. Jesus Christ is the suffering servant who ascended into glory. If we will join him there, we must suffer along with him. Now, these trials and difficulties, this suffering, it comes in many different forms. James speaks of trials in many kinds and then proceeds in his letter to even speak of riches, having riches as a kind of trial. And it's true. As you learn to be humbled by your high position. The suffering that comes to the disciples of Jesus Christ comes with dealing with sin and its effects in this world. Dealing with not yet perfect saints and their defects. Dealing with our fallen world, with our godless society and its neglects. What does the suffering look like? Well, just like sin is diverse, and just like the kingdom of God is diverse in its manifestations, so this suffering is diverse. There's many different ways that the Lord Jesus Christ calls us to suffer. And it's going to be different for each of us, given the circumstances of our lives, depending on where we are in the world, or depending on what time we are in the world, or whatever. Sometimes you suffer along with someone very close to you, who's in the depths of depression. And as they go through that pain and darkness that grieves their soul, you're called to go along into that pain and darkness and to grieve along with them. Other times you suffer alongside someone who has had their limbs removed because they dare to confess Jesus Christ to a marauding band of Muslim warlords. Other times... You're taunted and derided in the lecture hall at university for daring to suggest that God puts limits and restrictions on our sexual freedom, on the way that we are to live our lives. And you tell everyone there that you're committed to following his ways and not what's currently popular in this world. When we hold on to and when we hold out the gospel of Jesus Christ and stand up for God's truth, and follow our Lord Jesus Christ, we will suffer. This is becoming increasingly clear, even in today's political and cultural landscape. We're called to love the world. We're called to love our neighbor. But as we do so, we must expect to suffer. James and John may not have ended up at the right hand or the left hand of Jesus Christ in glory. That's not for him to grant or to promise, he says. But they, along with all of us, can expect to suffer alongside our Lord Jesus Christ. That much is sure. So we will suffer with him. We are also called to share in his service. From verse 41 onward in our text... Jesus expands on this teaching to his disciples. And this is why we're not to sit here and deride James and John for, for what they ask. The reaction that, that of the disciples reveals the sinfulness that resides in all of our hearts. It's the very sinfulness that Jesus Christ by his spirit is working to purge from our hearts and conquer, conquer through his gospel. 
The hearts of the disciples are not displaying the qualities that are essential to anyone who would dwell with Christ in glory. It may be essential in the kingdom of man to leverage power politics. It may be necessary to to selfishly wrangle, to use one-upmanship in order to gain a place of prominence and influence. But the kingdom of Jesus Christ demands no such thing. Rather, the way of advancing God's kingdom is to pursue a steady course of humiliation. The way up is the way down. Putting others ahead of yourself and adopting that servant attitude of the Lord Jesus Christ. That attitude that James and John were showing in their questions, in their request, was not that of Jesus Christ, but rather it was the attitude of the political leaders of the day. Those leaders used their authority to exert themselves over others. They put their desires and their agenda at the expense of the desires and the agenda of others. That's how politics worked. They would affirm their own status and their own importance, even if that meant putting down people close to them. That was the political game in first century Judaism. That was the political game in Roman society. And some things, you might say, never change. But it is not to be so for the disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ. For the disciples who would one day sit with Him on thrones and rule as kings and queens. The path of glory and power is in fact the path of humble service. That's what the Lord Jesus Christ reveals here. And that's what He points out. All that He says from verse 41 on speaks about the character of this service. And he's contrasting it with the Gentiles. The Gentiles, they rule by lording it over. They exercise authority over. The disciples of Jesus Christ, however, are to be servants. The one who wants to be first must be the slave of all. That's the character of leadership. That's the character of service in the kingdom of Jesus Christ. We're used to thinking that the way to the top is to exert ourselves at the expense of others. The Lord Jesus teaches us that the way to the top is to exert ourselves in the service of others. This is the way of Christ's church and Christ's kingdom. This is the way, in fact, that the Lord Jesus Christ himself walked. He did not come to this world to be served but rather to serve the Lord Jesus Christ. The King of Kings came to this world to serve. He gave up his place in the heavenly realms and he even gave up his life as a ransom for many. Only after he suffered did he ascend into glory. Now again, the substance of the work of our Lord Jesus Christ is different than what we are called to. He paid the ransom to His heavenly Father, the ransom of a perfectly lived life by the mediator of God's covenant people. Christ paid the ransom of suffering and death. The price is no longer to be paid. That's not what we are called to do. The victory has been won. The work is accomplished. The Lord's favor has returned to us His people. And that is the blessed hope and privilege in which we live and in which we serve. 
but the style of his great work, not the substance, but the style of his great work on our behalf must be for us the style with which we do our work in serving in his kingdom, in serving on others' behalf. And so, brothers and sisters, the vision of being with our Lord Jesus Christ in glory is a beautiful vision. Do not lose sight of that destination, but also remember the road to that destination. It's a road of suffering and service. It's a road that goes down before it goes up. It's a road that, in the eyes of the world, looks completely unappealing. And it's a road that, even in our eyes, can look daunting. But in the eyes of the disciples of Jesus Christ, that's the only road ahead of us. That's the only road to walk and looking to him in faith. That's the only road we want to walk. It's the road where our Lord Jesus Christ himself walked. It's the road where he will be there to guide us and to lead us and to help us. It's the road that will one day lead us to join him our King, where we long to be, with Him in glory. Amen. This has been a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. For more information, please visit us on the web at www.langleycanrc.org.